Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Thursday. Hope everyone has had a wonderful week. You've almost made it to Friday, so congratulations. Good job. Pat yourself on the back. You did it. We're going to talk about a variety of things today. Today is the Relatable Variety Show. Some things are going to be serious and sad. Some things are going to be happy and uplifting. Hopefully, maybe a couple things even make you laugh. So you're going to have to bear with me as we transition through some of those things. Might have to be a sharp turn sometimes, um, but we're, we're going to get through it. First thing I need to say off the bat that I don't have all the details of when I am recording this, it is Thursday morning. So by the time you're listening to this, there may be some developments that I'm not able to tell you right now. But as I said, as I am recording this, there have been two explosions outside of the Kabul airport in Afghanistan. And I just wanted to let you know that I'm watching that. I'm watching the development of that. Maybe I will share more information about it on Instagram this afternoon. Let me tell you what I know right now. I literally, just as I was walking in, happened to look off to the side and see uh, a Chiron on Fox News talking about uh, some explosion outside of the Kabul airport. I didn't know about it. And then I walked in and my team said, oh, yeah, it was this. Uh, there was another explosion. I didn't even know about the first explosion. It's very hard to keep up with all of this. So if you didn't know about it, that's OK. That's part of why I'm here. Why I'm here. So let me read you a little bit from The Federalist. They reported this morning, quote, an explosion rocked the Hamid Karzai International Airport in Kabul on Thursday as thousands of people were waiting for evacuation flights out of the Taliban controlled country. If you haven't, this is me talking. If you haven't listened to yesterday's episode of Relatable, we gave you an update on everything that is happening in Afghanistan, why what's happening is happening, the policy decisions made by this administration that led to what's happening, and then what I had an expert on, Rebecca Heinrichs, and what she believes is going to happen in the future, the things that we need to watch out for. And she made a couple predictions about what is to come and how things are going to devolve. So go listen to that episode if you have not already. Um, this is what's happening right now. Several outlets, the Federalist says, reported that the blast occurred at one of the airport's main entrances, Abbey Gate, and was triggered by at least one suicide bomber. The Pentagon confirmed there is an explosion and said there are, quote, an unknown number of casualties. We can confirm an explosion happened outside Kabul Airport. This is the a tweet by the Pentagon. Casualties are unclear at this time. We will provide additional details when we can. Fox News reported that at least three U.S. troops were wounded in the blast. As of Wednesday, approximately 1,500 Americans were still waiting to be rescued from Afghanistan. There are probably a lot more than that. I also saw a New York Times News alert that said that there's a plan to get 500 of them out, but not the 1,000 um, that I guess are still going to be left. The Biden administration has succeeded in getting tens of thousands of people out, out of Afghanistan, but only 5% of those thousands of people have actually been um, American. So the vast majority of those people have been Afghans and not necessarily Afghan allies, but just Afghans in general. I believe that we should be taking refugees. I want to take uh, refugees, I believe, absolutely, once they're here, that we as Christians have an obligation to help them with our time and our energy and our resources and our donations as we can. But I believe that the American government should be prioritizing American citizens. That's what a government does. That's why you see governments of other countries actually sending their military into Afghanistan, not just waiting at the airport to rescue their citizens from Afghanistan. Unfortunately, the Biden administration has uh, stopped our troops from doing that. They're just kind of waiting at the airport and then telling American citizens to go to the airport uh, to um, to hopefully get on a plane and get out. But unfortunately, the Taliban is making that difficult. And then this terrorist attack, of course, is making it even more difficult. That is just one of the many reasons why the Biden administration has botched this and has caused unprecedented, it, it, at least as far as our foreign policy goes, probably unprecedented um, chaos. And so it's just a disaster. These two bombings, these two explosions just add 
to the disaster that could have been quite probably curtailed by better decision-making by uh, the U.S. government. The Federalist goes on to say, just one day before the explosion, the U.S. Embassy cautioned Americans against traveling to the airport for evacuation until they were specifically told to do so. So it is likely that the United States saw this coming. And actually, uh, we have heard that one fear was that ISIS would um, capitalize on the chaos at Kabul airport and possibly and possibly uh, perpetuate one of these attacks. We don't know beyond that who is responsible for it. Um, very, very sad, very tragic. There's just there's just no way. I don't think that Biden lives this down. There's no way to spin it. Like he can try to give as many press conferences as he wants to. He can be as defiant and as defensive as he wants to. He can run away from the press as much as he wants to. He can try to pivot to talking about COVID and attacking governors like Ron DeSantis for their policy, for his policy making. Um, he's not going to be able to run from it because like we talked about yesterday, this is a rare instance in which we do have a lot of members of the media actually being honest and trying to literally speak truth to power um, rather than just say that they're speaking truth to power. As we know, the liberal media often gives a pass to Democratic politicians, but in this case, they seem to be holding his feet to the fire, which they should be doing for every single politician at all times. That is the responsibility of the press to do that for politicians on both sides of the aisle. So I woke up this morning praying about the situation in Afghanistan. Um, I shared on social media, I'll share again, there are a variety of organizations that are helping in very tangible and very effective ways. Uh, Glenn Beck has uh, sent a team over to Afghanistan or is helping fund a team in Afghanistan that is actively rescuing Christians. And so they're going over there with their large planes and they are getting Christians out of Afghanistan Praise God for that. God is using many people to do the same thing. Um, this is just another example that private citizens, that the private sector typically, the vast majority of times, does a better job at doing things um, effectively than the government does. And even though we are seeing such a failure of leadership, a dereliction of duty by our country's leaders, when I see something like what Glenn Beck is doing or what other organizations are doing to help those in need and to get American citizens out and to get American allies out in Afghanistan, it reminds me of why I am proud to be an American because even when our leadership fails, this is the character of our country. This is who we are. In the midst of all of our disagreements, this is the character of the United States, sacrificing everything to ensure the safety of our fellow Americans and of our fellow Christians if um, if we are Christians. So I also, uh, we, uh, Youth with a Youth with a Mission is an organization that we decided to donate to. There was actually a specific couple that are friends of a friend um, that we wanted to support financially that are, they're going over there. I don't know that I'm actually allowed to disclose their names. They're going over there and trying to help Christians in Afghanistan. Um, we also donated to No One Left Behind, who was trying to rescue Afghan allies there. And then um, one other organization, organization, Houston Welcomes Refugees. Houston, Texas has a huge refugee population and they create welcome kits for refugees of all different kinds that arrive in Houston and they are doing that also for Afghan refugees. No matter what you think about the politics of refugee acceptance, the fact of the matter is, is that once they're here, they're here and it is the obligation, I believe, of Christians um, to help them as we can. That doesn't mean that we help them instead of helping American citizens, but in addition to. Um, and so those are three organizations that I think that are, are doing good work. Uh, there are other organizations that are doing good work as well. I'm not affiliated with any of those organizations that I just promoted, just giving you some options to look into on your own. All right. I want to transition to some other things, and um, it can be difficult, like I said, to make this transition into some lighthearted stuff, and then also we're going to get back into some serious stuff. But let us remember that even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of really hard things going on, that we can't feel, feel guilty for seeking lightheartedness and seeking alleviation from 
those burdens. We do what we can. We we trust God as we pray without ceasing for those in need, but we also have to focus on what's in front of us and God does give us joy as a gift. Proverbs 17:22 says a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And I also love this from Proverbs 14:13 that even in laughter the heart may ache and the end of joy may be grief. Um, and so even as we laugh, even as we show joy, if you are, if you are say, you know, watching a show or watching a movie or watching a video that makes you laugh, brings you joy, you're laughing at something that your friend or your child said, don't feel guilty for that just because there is also sorrow. We actually, the human heart is very complex and multifaceted. We can carry sadness and sorrow at the same time that we are expressing joy. And we actually see that very much depicted um, throughout scripture that we are to rejoice in trials of many kinds as the book of James tells us to do, even as we are sad and maybe even fearful in some ways um, in those in those trials. Um, and so uh, let's transition into some other things because I do want to talk about some good things uh, that are going on and some things that I see around the world where people are pushing back um, against what they see as tyrannical policy. And as I was writing, as I was writing, so let me let me tell you first, let me tell you some wins and failures of, of Ali Stuckey first before I get into some global wins and failures that um, I think that I see. First of all, a win for me this morning, sometimes I write verbatim what I want to say, even if I don't follow my script. Sometimes I follow my script to the T because I know exactly what I want to say and it's better if I write it in the morning. Sometimes I don't write a script like right now. I don't have a script that I am looking at. Sometimes I write a script and then I go off script. This morning, I just started kind of typing things out. I'm an external processor. So sometimes I have to start writing and it gets my brain going. Um, This morning, I started out typing that there was a smorgasbord of things that I wanted to talk about today. And I was very proud of myself because I spelled smorgasbord correctly on the first try. Now, some of you, you might need to just pause it for a second, pause relatable for a second and see if you can spell smorgasbord the right way the first time. Because I asked my husband if he could, who is all, he's a good speller. Now, I granted, I'm a pretty good speller anyway, but still, that's a difficult word because I think we typically say smorgasbord. Borg. And that's how my husband spelled it. It's actually smorgasbord. I don't know if you knew that or not, but I was pretty proud of myself that on the first time, I mean, I I just pat, I pat myself on the back about that because that's not easy. Smorgasbord, if you did not know, is actually like a market in Brooklyn. Um, smorgasbord is a Scandinavian word that is, it describes some kind of like meal, not just like a cheese board, but it has all kinds of different like meats and cheeses and and things like that. That's a smorgasbord because it's a variety, a mishmash of things. So I was pretty proud of myself. That's a win for Ali Stucky that happened this morning. Now, let me tell you about my, let me tell you about my loss. And this, I'm going to try to tie it into the other things that we're talking about. But we'll see. It's just, maybe it's just story time because this is called relatable. And I don't, because there's so much going on in the world, I don't often tell stories. So some of you know, if you follow me on Instagram, that my husband and I have been trying to do Whole30. We're about two and a half weeks in and I've cheated here and there, but I've done a pretty good job. And if you don't know what Whole30 is, it's basically that you try to eat whole foods for 30 days. And so no processed food, you can't eat dairy, you can't eat legumes. So that means like you can't eat beans, you can't eat peanut butter because a peanut is actually not a nut, it's a legume. Um, And so it's difficult. I've done keto. I did keto a little over a year ago. It was effective, but you can eat, I think, a lot more on keto because you can eat dairy and sour cream, um, which is dairy. So you can eat dairy and you can eat some some other things that I think gives you a little bit more latitude and is a little bit easier. You can't eat any of that on Whole30, but I didn't want to wait like I did after my last pregnancy a whole year to start eating healthy. And so that's why we decided to do it. So if you've done a Whole30 before, you know that there is a day where you feel, and I'm sorry if you're listening with kids, this is a little bit of an inappropriate word. It's not a cuss word. It's an inappropriate word because it speaks to maybe, I don't know, a mature idea. But you feel hungover one of the days on Whole30 because your body is detoxing all of the bad stuff that you've been eating, all of the processed food and all of that. And you just feel bad. And everyone knows that you're supposed to push through that day and you're just supposed to get on with it. But yesterday, I woke up like I think I was still like half asleep 
waking up thinking about how bad my head hurt. And I woke up, had a full night of sleep, but was so tired, so nauseous. And I just, I did not feel good. And I didn't even want coffee. No, I'm not pregnant. So don't ask me about that. Um, I didn't want coffee. I didn't want anything. I felt awful. Um, and you could probably, you could go back and look at yesterday's YouTube video and how tired I looked. I didn't do my hair. I hardly did my makeup. Was not feeling good. But I was like, Allie, you got to push, you got to push through this. You got, it's only, you know, two and a half more weeks. Like my husband and my anniversary is at the end of Whole30. So we are already excited about what we're going to eat. And so I was like, you got to push through it. Well, your girl is not very disciplined when she passes by um, in and out. And that is what I did. So I went, I drove by in and out and I actually drove past it. So this is how bad it is. I drove past in and out and I, uh, made a U-turn because I could not, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. My resolve just totally, it totally fell through and I circled back around and I got myself a hamburger and fries and a Diet Coke and I wish I could say, like, if I had any semblance of integrity when it comes to Whole30, I would feel bad about that. I would have some regret. And I would say, oh, you know, I, I really wish that I hadn't done that. I should have just, I should have just pushed through and I would feel better today. And I, my body feels bad and I just regret it. And I could have, you know, gone to my husband with all of this guilt. And I didn't, I still don't feel bad about it. I felt so good afterwards. I was like, I think my body needed that. I think my body needed the fries and the hamburger. I still feel good about it today. I probably won't do it again because I'm going to try to re-implement my discipline but I'm just going to be honest. Like I went home and I told my husband about it and I was like, I don't, I don't feel bad. I don't feel bad. I thought, I felt honestly like my body needed in and out. Um, so that is, if you consider that a failure, when smelled the spelled smorgasbord correctly on the first try this morning, fail, loss yesterday on whole 30 completely gave in and just ate in and out, which is even just like weird for me. I'm not really a fast food person. Um, but that's what it, that that's that's my story. I just wanted to tell you that because maybe you can relate to it. You win some and you lose some. Won today, lost yesterday. That's that's life. That's life. And I just I just I don't know. I wanted to share that with you and maybe it'll tie into what we're talking about next. Some wins and some losses, some goods and some bads. We're going to talk about Christy Noam, and we're going to talk about vaccine mandates, and we're going to talk about France. And so there are some winners there, and then there are some not-so-winners there. So maybe that ties into what I just said. Before we get into that, let me stop and tell you about a real winner. And a real winner is Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers is Whole30 approved, by the way, um, I believe. I'm not an official representative of Whole30, but I believe at least their non-pre-marinated chicken and their beef is Whole30 approved. So if you are trying to eat healthy and you're on a budget, then I think Good Ranchers is a great option for you. Plus, if you're trying to get craft beef and better than organic chicken that is uh, 100% from American farms, then you definitely need Good Ranchers. If you don't like going to the grocery store, picking out your own meat, then you definitely need Good Ranchers. If you like to meet to show up the meat to show up at your door, you just like to go online and you like to order it. And you like it to be individually wrapped and put in a box and quickly shipped to your house so you can open it and put it in the freezer on a grill. Then you need Good Ranchers. These are all the reasons why my husband and I used Good Ranchers last night. I think we've eaten Good Ranchers every day this week. We actually were tempted last night to once again cheat on Whole30 and order some Greek food. But when my husband told me that he was going to order Greek salads, I was like, no, why would I want that? I wanted um, feta fries. But thankfully, my husband said, no, I'm just going to, we're just going to eat our good rancher. So my husband had a T-bone steak. I think I had a filet. And on the side, we had potatoes and green beans. And it was really, really good. And I just love how easy Good Ranchers makes our lives. So if you are interested in it, which you should be because it's a great product, go to GoodRanchers.com. You can place a one-time order or you can subscribe and save 20% on each box of mouthwatering meals. Subscribing brings the cost down to less than $5 a meal. Plus right now, get an additional $20 off and free express shipping if you go to GoodRanchers.com slash 
Allie, or you use code Allie at checkout, go to GoodRanchers.com slash Allie for that $20 off and free express shipping. That's GoodRanchers.com slash Allie. All right. So like I said, some winners and some losers. Um, I don't I don't want to call Governor of South Dakota uh, Christy Noem a loser because I don't I really don't think that she is. But she has taken some tactics on Twitter that I just don't think are wise. And because I think that she's done a lot of good things as the South Dakota governor, like I want to give some friendly advice. So let me tell you some drama that went on on Twitter yesterday with Christy Noem and Matt Walsh. Now, this is like the third week in a row that we're talking about Matt Walsh. We talked about Matt Walsh on uh, an episode about Carrie Underwood. And then we had him on, I think, the week before. And so he is a, he's a newsmaker. And so we're going to talk about him again in relation to Christy Noem. So uh, he said on his podcast that the only reason that Christy Noem has the attention that she has, again, governor of South Dakota, is because she is a very attractive woman. He said, you know, add, I think he said 20 years and 40 pounds to her, something like that. Uh, then she doesn't get the attention that she does. Now, we know that that is like, that's Matt Walsh's brand. He says stuff like that. Well, Christy Noem decided that she was going to um, post that clip, which she apparently got from Media Matters, and say that Matt Walsh is a misogynist. And then she tweeted something again saying, um, actually tagging Ben Shapiro, I guess kind of like telling on Matt Walsh and saying like, you know, I've roped steers bigger than Matt Walsh when I was a teenager or something like that. And the reason why this all started is um, because Governor Noem, she's gotten a lot of conservatives frustrated, I think understandably so, because she refuses to tell corporations that they can't mandate vaccines. Whereas in somewhere like Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis has tried to make it impossible for businesses to mandate vaccines. Now, there are conservatives typically on the anti-Trump side, I would say, that don't like that kind of thing. Um, and I'm not saying that necessarily they're only characterized by being against Donald Trump. They just typically tend to be in that camp who say that it's not conservative. Like I saw Joe Walsh, for example, he, I think, said that he was going to run against Trump last time, but uh, in their Republican primary. But um He said, you know, what's conservative about a Republican governor telling businesses that they can't mandate something or telling school districts that they can't mandate something? And I replied and I said, well, they're protecting individual choice. I am on that side. I am okay with a politician telling a business what they can and can't do when it comes to protecting the rights of individuals uh, to make particular choices, I think. Now, I could maybe be persuaded by a good argument to the contrary of that, but I like that Ron DeSantis is stepping up and saying, look, no, you can't trample on a parent's right to decide what is best for their kid, and you can't trample on an individual's right or try to manipulate them into doing something with their body that they don't want to do, uh, talking to a business, um, and basically give them an ultimatum. It's either this or you're fired. Maybe there are some other restrictions that you can put on them. Maybe you can make them test. Maybe you can try to make them wear a mask, but you can't force them or you can't fire them if they refuse this vaccine. I don't know the ins and outs of Ron DeSantis's particular policy, but I know that he's trying to protect individual choice by basically saying, no, you can't mandate this kind of thing. Whereas Christy Nolan is saying, look, I don't have the power to do that. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to coerce businesses into not mandating something that they want to mandate. And I get that, but I do think it's different. The government saying, look, the company, you can't force your employees to do that versus saying um, uh, versus uh, uh, a governor or an elected official uh, official telling a company that they have to do something, if that makes sense. I think that there is a difference because on the one hand, the former situation, you are protecting individual choice. I would say that is the role of a conservative politician to try to protect individual choice as much as possible. You are representing individuals. You are not primarily representing corporations. And so this is another 
another thing that a lot of conservatives consider a blunder on the part of Christy Noam after she refused to um, to protect girls sports. Now, she did explain her decision not to sign the bill that was said to protect girls sports. But a lot of people think that she has conflicting interests, corporate interests, um, and that she is not representing uh, people in a conservative way. So that's what people have beef about. That is why Matt Walsh was criticizing her. If you look at his podcast in general or the episode in general, you'll see he actually did lay out some specific complaints about uh, Christy Noam and the policy positions that she has decided to hold. And it wasn't just about her looks, but this is the clip that was kind of taken out that she tweeted and she had a problem about. Here's the thing, Christy Noam. First of all, I, I do disagree with you when it comes to the businesses, when it comes to protecting individual choice. I would not say what Matt Walsh said. I am a woman. I wouldn't like someone to say that about me. I, I wouldn't. And so I understand her being offended by that. I'd be offended by that. I think it's offensive. I'm sure that Matt Walsh doesn't think it's inoffensive, It's but it's fine for him to say it, whatever. Uh, he has the the freedom to do that. And there is some truth to it. Like there is some truth to it. She is a beautiful person and beauty has privilege. There are privileges that come with beauty. That is just true. That's true. No matter what party you're in, that's true. Uh, no matter, no matter what your background is, there is such thing as pretty privilege. You will get a more prominent platform if you are appealing to the eyes. Now, in her defense, she was the only governor that decided not to shut down any businesses or shut down any churches for any amount of time. And that is actually why she rose to the position that she did, because she was such a staunch defender of liberty from the get-go at the beginning of COVID. So we do have to give her credit in that. I think that she signed some good abortion legislation as well, anti-abortion legislation. And so we have to give her credit there. But I mean, you have to also realize that some of it has to do with your beauty. Some of it does have to do with your beauty. And maybe that is a double standard, but that's also because men and women are different. There are other female governors, and I'm not knocking those female governors or saying that they're not pretty. Maybe they are pretty. I don't even know. We don't even know. We don't even know what they look like because they don't have necessarily the same um, the same attractiveness as Governor Noam does. So here's the thing. Here's the why Governor Noam ends up losing in this situation. And I'm not calling her a loser, but in this situation, she loses. Okay, Christy Noam, you don't troll the trolls. You don't troll the trolls. Okay. It might be annoying that Matt Walsh said that to you, and I understand totally being offended by that, but you win nothing by fighting these fights, okay? You win nothing. The internet will take the side of Matt Walsh. And coming on the heels of you deciding something that a lot of conservatives are mad at, mad at you are not going to win. There is no good target audience, for this particular fight. Like people really like the Daily Wire. They like the podcasters there for good reason. I like them all too. I think that they're hilarious and awesome and insightful. And millions of other people do too. And it just makes you look bad. It makes you look petty. And I understand the offensiveness, but you lose in this situation. And so if I were your political advisor, which you have no reason to listen to me, I would advise you not to tweet anything like that ever again, because there is no winning side of it. There's no winning side of it. And I also recommend you not take implied shots at Ron DeSantis like you did in your CPAC speech, because again, even if you feel like you've done a better job, he is super popular and people, conservatives really like the job that he did. And so like it's just the whole thing, the pettiness doesn't work. And maybe it's a double standard. It probably is a double standard. But I think especially when women engage in that kind of thing, people assume that you're insecure and that you're petty and that you're jealous. And I'm not saying that you are, but people are going to assume that. And so the loser in this particular situation, like I said, Christine Alm, about my in and out and smorgasbord thing, you'll win some, some days you'll lose some, some days. So focus on continuing to be a good governor for South Dakota focus on continuing to pass and to tout conservative policies um, 
And, you know, the game is changing. The game is changing a little bit. And maybe you need to realize that there are Republicans who want their Republican representatives, their governors, their elected officials to wield power in the same way that Democrats wield power for the advancement of individual liberty. That's kind of where we are right now. Love it or hate it. Now, speaking of all of this stuff, this does kind of transition us um, into what I want to talk about next. And that is um, fighting for your individual liberty when it comes to things like your kid's school mandating masks, or maybe you're someone who um, maybe you're someone who doesn't want to take the vaccine and yet you're the organization that you work for is forcing you to. This is not a stance, as I've said many times, on the vaccine itself. I haven't given that stance and I'm not going to give that stance. I haven't disclosed my status because I think we just normalize not disclosing that. I don't judge you if you got it or if you didn't get it. Um, but I am unequivocally against mandates and coercion and manipulation. And so I want to talk about what can you do if you are in that position where maybe you've chosen not to take it or maybe you've chosen to take it, but you don't want to engage in the show your papers, please culture that we are seeing growing at a rapid pace around the world. So I want to talk a little bit about that in just a second. First, I want to tell you about my other sponsor for the day, and that is Bambi. So if you own a small business, which I know for a fact that a lot of you guys do, you guys know that HR issues can kill you, whether it's wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations. You need an HR manager, but HR managers are super expensive. Their salaries are not cheap. There's an average of $70,000 a year for an HR manager salary. And maybe you're just not at a point in your business where you can afford that, but you still need to manage your HR issues. You can't let those just go because they'll pile up. They'll crush your business. That's why you need Bambi. That's B-A-M-B-E-E. It was created specifically for small business. You get a dedicated HR manager that crafts your HR policy maintains your compliance, all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. They customize your policies to fit your business from onboarding to terminations. They help you manage your employees day-to-day. Again, all for just $99 a month, super affordable. It's month-to-month. There are no hidden fees. You can cancel at any time. So there's no big complicated contracts or anything like that. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time on HR compliance. Let Bambi help get your free HR audit today by going to Bambi.com slash Allie. Again, that's B-A-M-B-E-E.com slash Allie right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash Allie. Bambi.com slash Allie. Okay, so the biggest question that I get, that I do try to answer every now and then, although it's difficult to do, the biggest question is, how do I push back against policies that you don't like? Mask mandates in your kids' schools, like we already listed, vaccine mandates and passports. I don't have the answer to all of those questions because there may or may not be a variety of strategies that work. So I asked some of you about this on Instagram, if you've effectively gotten a policy to change at work or in a school district or a school. And I asked you, okay, what did you do? And I got several messages. Um, uh, I got several messages from you guys basically telling me kind of what you did. And the thing that I heard from a lot of you um, was that you collectivized. So that was the first thing that I heard, that you rallied some other parents that agreed with you on something. And I keep thinking about specifically mask mandates in schools because there really is no data whatsoever that supports having mask mandates in schools. And there's plenty of data to the contrary. I'll link the past episode in which we broke that all down. And I'll link my blog post that uh, links all of the studies that show that there's really no effect. Well, there's really no effectiveness to most masks and how most people wear masks in general, no matter what your age is, but especially when it comes with kids, especially when they're wearing wet cloth masks all day. There's no effectiveness and there's actually potential for developmental delays and also uh, pathogens to be created and spread. But We'll link to those past episodes. Um, And so I'm thinking of that when I'm thinking about people who have actually changed policies. A lot of these policies that 
um, are being pushed back on right now have to do with children. And I care about mask mandates for adults too, and that we're actually following the science on that. But I care more about kids because uh, kids are being forced to do this. And I get a lot of people saying, well, my kid loves to wear a mask. My two-year-old loves to wear a mask. Okay, that doesn't mean that it's good for them. At one point, they were made to wear a mask. They probably didn't voluntarily just say, hey, mom and dad, like, can I wear a mask? I'd love to wear a mask. They probably either saw their friends doing it, they saw someone doing it, or you told them that they had to do it. So at some point, they were made to wear a mask. And that means that we're making kids do something that has no proven scientific benefit and may cause psychological harm um, in not being able to communicate how we are used to communicating, how God made us to communicate like he gave us the half of our face that we are covering up and like who are we with again no scientific benefit proven especially for kids who are we um to say that that is good and and right and effective and that's not going to add some kind of psychological harm especially for kids with special needs especially for kids who are still learning to speak and uh, enunciate their words and things like that Other countries understand this. The UK understands this. All of Scandinavia understands this. Even Australia, the police state of Australia, understands this. They do not make kids wear masks. In some countries, 12 and up. But not, um, but not younger than that. America is very draconian and unscientific when it comes to the recommendation of masks at two years old. There's no science. And so most parents who have decided, okay, I'm going to push back against this when it comes to my kids' daycare, when it comes to my kids' public school or private school, uh, what you have said that you have done is you have collectivized, so you've rallied together with like-minded parents, and you have taken your complaint either in a letter or in an email. Some of you have gone to your school board meetings and you you have stated your facts and you have continued to contact the members of your school board or members of your city council in other cases um, with the facts and with your persuasive, logical, respectful arguments for why you don't believe it actually makes sense to mandate masks in this particular age group or in this particular setting. Um, so those of you who have been effective have first you found like-minded people and then you took your complaints in um, a very professional and respectful and persuasive way, linking to the studies, linking to the facts, and uh, continue to pressure the people who make these decisions into making decisions that are based on science and compassion. And one person specifically said, the route that you took was every time, um, I think it was an email that you would get from your child's school, every time that you got an email saying, you know, this is, we're thinking about mandating masks based on, you know, this criteria or whatever, you would reply uh, and you would very strongly state your opposition and state your reasoning for your opposition every time that you would get an email saying, hey, we're actually thinking about making masks optional or not doing masks, you would respond with very strong support. And so you kept on showing uh, how passionate you were about your position and how passionate you were against a particular you know, mandated position. And uh, that actually worked. You showing strong communication and strong feelings and strong support towards one position actually put pressure on the people that you were communicating with uh, to go the way that you wanted it to go. We see people on the left doing this all the time to try to push their policies. And you have to be just as if not stronger in voicing your position. So find like-minded people in your workplace, in your school district, at your kid's school, um, and formulate a concise and factual argument. Present it to the people who make the decisions. It it might even be local health officials. Present it to the people who make uh, the decisions. Try to get business owners um, involved, people in other positions of power locally who have influence, who have influence in your community community, in your school, um, get them to sign on to some kind of peti- uh, some kind of petition, some kind of letter, get them to show up to a school board meeting, peaceful protest, raising your voice about these things, showing that you're paying attention and that you're putting pressure, again, respectful pressure. We're not talking about any kind of threats in any way, um, respectful pressure on the people um, who make these decisions to make the right choice. Uh, Again, based on science and compassion, that can absolutely be effective. I want to show you a video of what I think 
is a very um, peaceful protest, a form of protest that is allegedly, and I say allegedly because the person on Twitter who tweeted this video says this is what's happening um, in France. And I'll tell you what's happening before I show it. There are people um, sitting on the street in France eating basically at picnics. It looks like hundreds of people outside of the restaurants that are requiring the a vaccine passport in order to eat there. Those businesses are suffering because some people don't either they don't want the vaccine or they don't want to play a part in the tyranny that they believe is represented by vaccine passports. And so they're all eating their dinner in front of these French restaurants rather than going into them as these French restaurants are suffering economically. Um, and so here's a video of that happening. Talk about winners and losers. Those are those are winners. Again, I bet you some of those people, I bet you a lot of those people are probably vaccinated, but it's possible to be for something and be against the the um that something being mandatory. And so I'm very proud of the French. You know, this I was just telling my team before this that I've kind of got a Ron Swanson view of Europe and Europeans and especially the French. I think a lot of Americans do. But way to be united and to peacefully protest in a way that I think makes a really good statement. And people were saying underneath this tweet that this could never happen in America because we couldn't unify long enough to do this. Now, I do think that there's a lot of unity in parents and local communities that are peacefully protesting, but we kind of, I mean, things are so divided and we're so divided even on each side on small issues that it actually is very hard for people in America to unite. Our foreign enemies love that, by the way. Um, and it's so it's hard for us to, I think, unify and do a demonstration like this. Also, we've got a lot of crazy people. Like both sides have a lot of crazy people that end up ruining these kinds of peaceful demonstrations because they're going to roll in with their like, I don't know, crazy symbol and yell and things like that. And so it's hard for this kind of thing to happen in America. But I'm playing that and watch this on YouTube if you're listening and you didn't get to see it. Um, I am encouraging Americans to think of uh, these kinds of ways to do what we say on this podcast, raise a respectful ruckus, make a difference in that way. It might not be immediately successful, but let's exercise our privileges and our rights that we have to freedom of assembly, to freedom of speech, uh, freedom to petition the government while we still can. We don't know how long these freedoms are, are going to last. If the 20th century tells us every anything, um, it does tell us a lot of things, maybe not everything. But if it tells us anything, we know that like these freedoms, these rights aren't guaranteed forever. So let us exercise our right to free speech while we can by respectfully, by peacefully raising our voice. It can make a difference. I love the messages from you guys that say that you took information from this podcast and you were able to persuade either one person or a group of people or people in power to change um, change a bad policy into a good one. I want to talk about a little bit of the fallacies that I see going around that I've kind of alluded to them um, already, but I saw this social media post going around basically saying that your right to safety trumps people's right to liberty, and therefore you shouldn't be speaking up about vaccine passports. You shouldn't be pushing back against um, any kind of mandate that I guess people in Australia and people in the United States and people in France that are pushing back against this stuff that they're doing the wrong thing because they're prioritizing rights over people's lives. And I just think that that is a totally erroneous way to think about this. For some reason, we've got this crazy idea going around that the absolute guarantee of safety trumps people's liberty. And it just doesn't. Like there's no such thing as the absolute guarantee of safety, nor is there a constitutional right to not be offended or to not catch a virus or to not be around someone who is armed with a gun. But there is a right to free speech even offensive speech, especially offensive speech. Like that's why the First Amendment exists. It doesn't exist for speech that no one wants to silence. There is a right to gather to worship. There is a right to own a firearm. People also have a right to life, which is why murder and manslaughter are punishable by law. But accidentally spreading a virus doesn't actually fall into either of those categories. That doesn't mean that we don't sometimes give up some liberty for some restrictions that we hope will encourage safety because we do, like seatbelts, speed limits, security checkpoints, uh, checkpoints in airports. 
Um, but anytime we make these decisions, our policymakers should be weighing the risks and the benefits and considering just how much freedom of particular policy denies um, and if that denial is worth it. And this should be decided also with the opinions of the constituents that they represent. I mean, that's why something like the Patriot Act, which was signed into law by uh, George W. Bush after 9-11, is so controversial because in the name of safety and protection against terrorism, it has made surveillance of American citizens much easier and more common. So on the one hand, we want to curb terrorism, yes. But on the other hand, you don't want the government spying on civilians like we live in communist China. So policies like this have to be carefully weighed and debated, and unfortunately, they're often not. Usually, those in power opt to give themselves more power. And one of the questions that should be asked is not just, is this good policy, but also, what power does this give the government or a corporation or school board to do in the future? What's the logical conclusion of this kind of authority? We have to be thinking um, that we have to be thinking that way. Now, sometimes that's a slippery slope fallacy. Sometimes like power has to be taken and put into the hands of the government to do certain things. It's kind of what we talked about in the whole Christy Nolan debate. But in, in general, asking about what authority this gives the government and what will this allow them to do in the future, that in itself is not a slippery slope fallacy. That's just understanding how bureaucracy works. That's understanding how power works. Once given, it's not easily taken away or diminished. That's true of both Republicans and Democrats. So we just have to be careful in all cases what power we give the government, especially, I would say not even, but especially in the name of safety. Um, I find that leftism often thinks of its preferences as rights and anything that violates those preferences as a violation of rights. And I see the mentality, too, that everything they like should be mandatory. Everything that they don't like should be banned, which leads them to this erroneous conclusion that if you're against something being forced or banned, then you are against that thing. And that's not true. So there's no room for discussion of liberty and choices, except strangely, when it comes to things like abortion, which is actually literally killing a human being. I mean, I think some things should be banned too, namely murder. And yet on that, for the left side, there's nuance. But on things like vaccines, there's there's no nuance. You should absolutely enforce someone to do something with their body because it affects other people. But how do you not see that abortion directly affects someone else and someone not getting a vaccine only maybe has the potential to affect someone else? And we take risks every day that may or may not affect the safety of someone else. Um so this is all this to say, I'm not even coming to some kind of like conclusive answer. All I'm saying is that there is a debate about this and that you have a right to speak up about this. There, we do have a right to discuss these things in every single policy. When we are weighing safety versus liberty, there has to be a conversation about it. People just trying to cudgel you and saying safety, 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 and not caring about liberty at all. Like I've said before, you want to look what it, you want to see what it looks like to not have rights. Look at the 20th century. Like rights do matter. Liberty does matter. That is a way to love your neighbor. It, we are not just vectors of viruses. We're not just physical bodies. Yes, of course, trying to protect as much as you can other people from sickness may be important, but people's rights are important too. People's livelihoods are important too. People's development and communication and neurological development when they're children from seeing the expressions on people's faces also matters. And other countries seem to be able, seem to be able in some ways to do this better than America has, at least in some states. So that's just my encouragement to you to keep trying and, and keep going and keep pushing. Um, quickly, we're about to end. I just want to play this quick clip of Joe Rogan um, because I think that this is what he says is so true. And he's not necessarily conservative. He's certainly not a Christian. Um, uh, but this shows me that people that aren't necessarily on our side of everything are also seeing how this is tyranny. And maybe this will motivate you to speak up about some of these things that I really think matter. So here's, here's a clip from his show. Can't do what you want to do unless you do what I want you to do. I mean, Don Lemon was talking about that openly on CNN. Yeah. Don't have a vaccine. Can't go to the supermarket. Don't have a vaccine. Can't go to work. Like... It's so strange that people want to say things like that. Like, that's the thing that blows me away. Why do you, why do people want to? Because uh, they're dumb. They're dumb. Right? They're dumb. They don't understand history. They don't understand <laughs> right. human beings. They don't understand yeah. human nature. They don't understand the history of 
every single country that's ever existed mm-hmm. other than the United States. Up until 1776, every country that has ever existed was run by dictators. Right. All of them. This is the first one where you had elected officials. This is the first experiment in self-government that actually worked, and it created the greatest superpower the world's ever known. It created the greatest cultural machine, the greatest machine of art and creativity and innovation right here. And how did it do that? It did it through freedom. Because when you give people freedom, you let people do whatever the fuck they want to do, they actually find ways to succeed and grow and thrive. But as soon as you put the boots to them, as soon as you tell them, you have to do this or you can't do that. You have to listen to me. Now you have a mini dictator. You right. have one step away from a king. You have a one step closer. You're moving one step closer to dictatorship. That's what the fuck is happening. That's what's going to happen with a vaccine passport. That's what's going to happen if they close borders. You can't enter New York City unless you have your papers. You can't go to here unless you have that. You can't get on a plane unless you do what I say. And people say, whoa, it's all about protecting people from the." Mm. No, it's not. It's not because we've shown this is a fact. It, just a couple of months ago, the idea of a breakthrough case was unheard of. Nobody heard of anybody catching COVID that had a vaccine, right? right? That was the whole idea. You get a vaccine, you don't have to worry about it. Now we know not only do you get it, but you can spread it. And some people have died. Apparently, it's a small number. I don't know what the numbers are, but I know that most people who get vaccinated, when they do have the disease, they have a better time of it than mm-hmm. the people who are unvaccinated. But where are the people out there calling for people to get healthy? Where are the people out there calling for people to lose weight? Okay, so he, I don't think, I'm sure, I bet he's vaccinated. I don't think he's against vaccines at all. I think that he communicates a position that a lot of us really feel that independent of your view of the vaccine, that when you start mandating things and when you start limiting people's movement and their access to basic services, you don't actually convince them of the efficacy and the safety of something. You do not convince them that you are interested in their well-being. Actually, I think this pe- this makes people dig their heels in even more. It's not an effective strategy. And he's right. It leads to a dictatorship. America and the freedom that it represents is absolutely worth standing up for. Like if you don't see how this creates the infrastructure for much worse things then I need you. I need you to do some. Uh, I, I need you to do some some searching online about the gulags, uh, the gulag archipelago, or uh, about Mao's China, or about communism in Cambodia. Like I need you to read about some totalitarianism that obviously didn't have the same things that we're talking about now, but some of the same principles that we are seeing now. I don't necessarily think that's the intent of everyone who is trying to mandate vaccines. I don't. Or trying to have vaccine passports. But I do think it can absolutely be the impact. And it's important that we think about that. And if someone like Joe Rogan, who I don't think I know a lot of people on the left think he's like alt-right or something. But the guy is at the very least a liberal uh, or a social liberal, if not a political liberal in general. So if other people see that and it's not just this right wing thing, then maybe it's time for us who do espouse conservative values to stand up for the freedoms that matter. Um, that is a way, as I say, to love your neighbor. All right. That was a smorgasbord of things. I hope that that rallies you. I hope that that was um, a little bit of a positive episode for you, even as we're talking about very serious things. Um, Next week, we've got a lot of good guests, a lot of good episodes coming down the pipeline. Super excited about it. But for now, hope you guys have a great rest of your day and a great weekend. See you guys on Monday.